Good morning, everybody. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. We're kind of picking up where we left off last week. This is the best promise on earth, part two. Father, as we study your word, would you just highlight and push inside us whatever truth you have for us individually. In Jesus' name, we all said amen. Romans chapter 8. Matter of fact, go ahead and turn to your neighbor and say good morning. That won't hurt you a bit if you do that. I don't think anybody will bite you. It's good. Now, uh, this is such a powerful passage, and I had never preached on it before. We're going to spend a couple weeks on it, Romans 8, 28. I suggest that you memorize at least verse 28. How many know verse 28, at least by heart? Hold your hand up. Why should we memorize it? Because you're going to need it. Yesterday, I was quoting it because I needed it. Ari Tori said that this is a soft pillow for a tired heart, so it's good for mankind, womankind, doggy kind, every kind. It's good for you. It is good for me. Now, let's start with the passage, verse number 28. And we, we know that God causes a few things. I'm sorry, some things, half things. All things, everyone say all things, to work together for good to those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called and these who he called, he justified. And these who he justified, he also glorified. Now, from last week, we want to look at these four main statements again, because you and I cannot hear them enough. We need to hear them. We need to think about them. We need to quote them to ourselves. And it starts off saying, we know. Please repeat that, please. We know. And knowing means certainty. If you go through life without certainty, you're going to struggle on practically every level. Now, we don't know the answer to everything, but we know the one who does know the answers. At the end of his life, Paul wrote this as his testimony. For this reason, I suffer these things and I'm not ashamed. He has spent the last 30, 40 years leading people to Christ, starting churches, Enduring rejection and hardship. And then he says, for I know who I have believed. Say it please. I know who I have believed. And I'm convinced that he is able to keep what I've entrusted to him until that day. What's that day? The day Jesus returns or the day the angel comes for us. This is a bust of Nero. The cruel emperor, demon-possessed guy who lifted the head off of Paul and sent him to glory. 
Paul says, I know whom I have believed. So know goes with the word hope. If you know, then you have hope. And you have hope because you know who you have believed and who you have entrusted. The best definition of this hard-to-define word right out of the Greek is this. It is a favorable and confident expectation of good. Today may be horrible. This year may have been hard. I'm not doing well in my marriage or my home or my finances, but hope tells me this will turn around if I hang on. Now, both words, no and hope, are based on one thing. It's not based on our performance. It's not based on our talent. It's not based on our intelligence. It's not based on who we have around us. It's based on one thing, the character of God. That's why I can get up in the morning with a smile. That's why I can say, it's going to work out. That's why we can say, we know all things will work together for good. Now, this gentleman here, one of the greatest missionaries, explorers ever, David Livingston. And this is what David recorded in his journal, an amazing Scottish missionary. He said this, my trust is in the words of a gentleman who cannot lie. That's where my hope comes from. Now this passage that I've read over many times, many years, but I did not see the significance until last week. Here Job, after he'd lost his family, which he didn't understand, lost his health, which he didn't understand, lost his wealth, lost his friends, lost his reputation, essentially lost everything. And yet he said, I'm holding on to one thing. And repeat this passage, please, because I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will be the one standing on earth. He's the last man standing. And that's what I know. I don't know anything else. But Job said, said, I know this. And then I know all things. What do you mean all things? All means what? What does all mean? All. No exceptions. No exemptions. All means all, all the time. That means nothing can ever come your way in your lifetime as a follower of Christ. That God will not see ahead of time. That God will not have a plan ahead of time because he loves and cares and he is a good father. The heavenly father does not cause evil. But he will, in every circumstance, attempt to bring good out of that evil. Benefit to us and glory to the name of his wonderful son. That's how he works. That's what he does. We know all things work together. Everyone say work together. What does that mean? It's like building a house. It's a process foundation, walls, studs, plumbing, electrical, roof, 
shingles, all things work together. It is a process of working together. Now, we, on this side of the process, we don't know how things are going to turn out. We don't. We never do. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen next week. And we don't know when the change will occur. We don't know when they will turn around. We don't know when the door will open. We don't know when the answer will come. We don't know any of that stuff. And it's none of our business. How many would like for it to be your business? Lord, just tell me. Just tell me, whisper. I'll be good. No, he's not. If you knew it, it would mess you up. So he's not going to tell you that stuff. We don't know the future, but we know the one who holds the future. That's where the hope comes from. And at some point in time, in your stress, in your loss, you have to decide, am I going to despair or am I going to trust? And that'll be a day-to-day thing. It may be every hour. You have to make that decision. Am I going to despair or am I going to trust? Because if I can't rest, this thing, whatever it is, will wear me out and I won't see what God wants me to see. And this past year and this year, I want to say we're just like just about all the churches in our area. A lot of our people have gone through horrible losses. I have cried. I have wept. I have held hands. I have prayed with some of you guys. And there are a lot of this stuff. I don't understand why stuff happened. We don't like what happened. But we still trust because we know the Lord is good and the Lord has a plan. Now, this is not a good picture, but this is my 21-year-old father. He was a sergeant in the Army Air Corps. <clears throat> he was trained at an Army Air Base in Texas. And he and his crew, he was a flight engineer. He's a guy that plotted where the planes would go and when the bombs would drop and this sort of stuff. And this is, I think this is a B-17 super fortress or flying fortress, I guess it was. The day before my father and his crew was to leave from Texas to go to England to fight the war in Europe. And there were probably hundreds of planes leaving the same day. All the young men in those planes went through one last pre-flight physical. And they just lined up. And when the doctor examined my 21-year-old father, he said, well, you're not going anywhere. He said, what are you talking about? You have a hernia. He said, I don't have a hernia. He said, you do have a hernia. And my dad said, what does that mean? He said, you're having surgery. When am I having surgery this afternoon? I said, that's, imp-. my dad said, it's impossible because these are the guys I love. These, this is my crew. These have been my buddies the last 10 months. I don't want them to go to fight without me. This is my family. He said, Mr. Pearson, there's always another plane. So he had surgery to repair that hernia that day. It broke my dad's heart, he told me. He was so sad. And he ended up becoming a trainer at that Army Air Base in Texas. And it took him another year to get to the South Pacific where he was in a B-29. But after the war, he found 
Now, what happened to the plane he was supposed to be on? It was shot down over Europe. Without that hernia, I would not be here today. For we know all things work together. Now, we can't see it because we don't know the future. Matter of fact, you won't see it in its entirety until you get to heaven. You won't see 90% of all the wonderful things the Father did to protect you, to help you, to teach you, to strengthen you. And then Paul said, we know all things work together for good. Everyone say good. Because he's a good heavenly Father. And he's good how often? I'm sorry, he's good how often? All the time. He's good all the time. Jesus said, if you, the best father on earth, is evil compared to my heavenly father. And if the best father is so inadequate compared to the heavenly father, and he knows how to do good, how much more will my heavenly father is perfect do good to those who ask? Jesus is saying, you can trust my heavenly father all the time. And he's constantly working behind the scenes to help you and me. My suggestion is, let him. Stop being a hardhead. Stop trying to figure it out. Listen to him and do what he's asking you to do. And there'll be a number of things in here that's not on your outline. And I just want to be pastoral for a little bit. You may be in a position right now that's really hard. You're breaking up on the inside. There's not a lot of hope there. You're suffering. You're struggling. Your circumstances are not only not good, they are horrible. And you don't know how they're going to turn out. And I would say to you, as your big brother, it's always too soon to quit. It's always too soon to despair. Maybe some of you guys watching online, you just found us today. And I want to say, don't give up on the Father. So what do I do? You have to ask the Holy Spirit to open your spiritual eyes and help you see where he is working. See, we're not inviting him to join us in our work. He's inviting us to join him in his work. There's a big difference in that. So join him. Open your spiritual eyes and say, Lord, I'm available to do whatever. I'll help anybody. I'll do whatever you're asking me to do. I'll go anywhere. Just tell me what you want. I am in. The danger is... If you stop trusting because you're confused or lost or disoriented, you're going to stop seeing because your gaze will turn inside instead of up and out. Keep trusting. No matter what happens, you keep trusting. Even I tell my father this a lot. I, I say to him, 
The, the things I say most to him is, Lord, I love you today more than I've ever loved you. And secondly, I trust you today more than I've ever trusted you. Even if I don't like it, even if I can't figure it out, even if I don't know how it's going to be fixed, I trust you. So therefore, I can rest. I can relax. I can let go. Now, this is also not in your notes. Being pastoral, you're in a loss today. You're behind the eight ball. You don't know what to do. Well, I want to say it's okay to grieve. Grieving is good. Grieving is not bad. You can't grieve forever, but you got to grieve for a while. If what? Because when you have something and you lose it, the natural response is grief. Heaven grieved over the loss of the son. If it didn't mean anything to you, it wasn't worth grieving over. So grieve. Tears are good. If your eyes leak, your head won't swell. So cry. It's okay. Just cry. Leaning on other people is important. If you think you're tough enough to figure it out, you're wrong. Lean on other people. Let them help you. Next, God can handle your questions. He's not mad at you, and it's okay to be mad at him. Just don't stay mad. Don't give him a timetable for answering your questions. Let him answer them at the right time. In the meantime, reach out to other people who are suffering. That'll help you heal quicker than anything. This is important. Write this down. Don't waste your pain. Don't waste your pain. Look for other people to help. Now, I had some people ask me this question this week after last week's sermon. Steve, are you telling me that everything in life is good and what's the answer to that? Absolutely not. Everything is not good. That's not what the Bible says and that is not what I am saying. Like what? If a person takes your life, that is never good. It is sad. It is heartbreaking. It is demonic. And unclean spirits tell people that there's no reason to hope. And people start listening to them instead of the Holy Spirit. Or a man who has no hope and is angry walks into a food store in Colorado and takes a life of 10 innocent people. Is that good or bad? That's what? That's very bad. And even the police officer that went in to rescue them was killed too. A man with wife and children, is that good or bad? That's, that's horrible. There's nothing good about that. Just last week, just last week, to put things in perspective, last week, this godly pastor, former Muslim, who pastored a church in northern Nigeria, Nigeria where it's really, really hard to be a Christian, his motorbike ran out of gas, and he's walking on a Saturday night, and an Islamic terrorist recognized him, and killed him in a horrible way. Left his body strewn in the brush and 
hid his motorbike. And then the next morning they went to church and killed 10 of his people, including two pregnant women. Don't say everything is good. This is not good. Since January, nine months in that region, 300 churches have been attacked. 300 churches. Also in nine months in that region, 3,000 Christians have been kidnapped and 3,400 Christians have been horribly slaughtered by jihadists who think they're serving God. This pastor, Pastor Jeremiah, said this. The West doesn't know about our suffering and loss. We go to sleep at night and we're never sure whether we'll be alive the next day. You know, last year our country killed about a million babies in the womb. You see, everyone see that picture up there? Can you mistake that for anything? Is that a toaster? Is that a vacuum cleaner? What is that? That is a child made in the image of God. There's nothing good about that. When a wicked man comes to power in a country, is that good or bad? That's horrible. So, Steve, why do these things happen? Let me give you five reasons why these things happen. Because God gets blamed for them. The, other, the God of this world, little g, gets the blame. Reason number one, are you paying attention? It's because we live in a fallen world. A corrupt, fallen world. Our ancestors, real man, real woman, real location on earth, the Garden of Eden, handed the keys to this planet over to the dark one. He is the God of this world until Jesus comes back. His time is coming to a close very soon. Paul wrote this, as sin came into the world through one living person, death through sin, so death spread to all of us because now, since we are his descendants, we have that corrupted, wicked, selfish DNA inside of us. Someone say amen. We just do. Point number two, this is not our home. This is not our home. We are just passing through. We are strangers. We are pilgrims. The time is coming. We all will leave this planet. Either Jesus will come back for us or the angels will come for us. Because these earth suits one day will wear out. The scripture says the perishable, which is this stuff we got. How many had birth, had a birthday sometime in the last 10 years? Anybody have a birthday? Have you noticed things change with every birthday? Stuff just gets lower and lower and lower. The perishable must put on, must, 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 must put on the imperishable my grandmother lived three months short of being 110. So if four score and 10 is about the average age, which is 70, 75, I think she stole about 40 years from somebody. <laughs> not mine, not mine. Point number three, we have an adversary. Everyone say adversary. 
You know what an adversary is? Someone that wants to kill, steal, and destroy from you. An adversary is someone that comes to your front door. They have a list. Your name is at the top of the list. And it's he says to your face, I know where you live. I know everything about you. And I hate you. And it's my goal, since your name is on the list, to destroy you. Peter says, resist him. He is like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can destroy. Tell it, not in my house, not in my heart, not in my marriage, not in my church. No, sir, get out of here in Jesus' name. I take authority over you. Shut your mouth mouth and leave. Number four, this is kind of complex, try to make it simple. The heavenly father is sovereign. Everyone say sovereign, which means he's king, he's boss, he's Lord. There's no one higher than him, which means as since he's sovereign, he has both the right and he has the power. To do what he deems is best and good and righteousness. He has the power. I don't. But on the other side of his sovereignty. He has given you and me the greatest gift. He could ever grant mankind. Which is what? What is the gift? The gift of the power to choose. Every person on this planet has the power to choose. Some are more responsible than others. I think we Americans have a lot more responsibility because we've been given so very much. What does that mean? We have the freedom to choose how we live, what our values are, how we make decisions, how we treat people, what kind of home we have. Not only just how we live, but who we serve. Now, the painting on that is from the last words of a mighty servant of the Lord, Joshua. Last chapter in the book of Joshua, who is also 110 years of age. And he said, I'm almost done my race. I'm going to be off this planet very, very soon. But I want to... He brought all the tribal leaders, all the leaders together. And he says, you have to decide. Choose this day who you're going to serve. Are you going to serve the gods of the Amorites on the other side of the Jordan? Are you going to serve the gods here on this side? Are you going to serve the one and true living God? And he says, as for me and my house, I speak for me and my house. We're going to serve the Lord. That's called what? What is this called? Free will. The greatest gift. Here's another famous last words. The book of Deuteronomy is three sermons. One generation has died out. Moses knows his time is about over. And so he's got three messages to deliver to the next generation. And he says this, 
Say it with me, please. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today. Say it. I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. So choose life that you may live, you and your descendants. Choose. Now, this is the most important thing I'm going to say today. And I want you to write this down because you'll be helping people. You'll be talking to one of your kids, talking to a neighbor, talking to somebody that's about to do something really, really, really stupid. And you're their last shot at sanity. And you tell them this, you know, if you want to ruin your life, go ahead and do it because I can't stop you. I can't duct tape you to a tree. I can only put you in jail so long. I can't make up. I can't make decisions for you. So therefore, if you want to ruin your life, have at it, because God won't even stop you, because He gave you the freedom to choose. Sometimes that turns people around. And I also want to say, this is important too. Some, some of you today, just because some really horrible things have happened to you, you can still choose what you're going to do with it. It's never what happens to you that ruins you. It's your response to what happens to you that makes or breaks you. Don't let the devil hang this label on you. A big V right in the middle of your chest saying victim. Yes, horrible things happen to good people. But you have a choice here. If you choose to take the big yellow V on your chest, you will be bitter for the rest of your life. Which is worse than whatever happened to you. Next, you will be stuck in your bitterness and you can't move forward. Third, you will never heal as long as you consider yourself a victim. And fourth, you will never find God's purpose for your life. God does use evil. He doesn't cause it, but he will use evil. He will use pressure. He will use loss. He will use pain. He will use suffering to shape us. See the tools? He, his desire is to shape us, to reveal his goodness to us, so we can learn to trust him and love him more every single year that we live. And I hope I don't have to remind you, but every story, every character in this book, every man or woman that God used powerfully are all servants that have gone through extreme hardship. And this may give you hope. Maybe the greater the call, it may be the tougher the road. So if you've had a tough life, God is not disappointed. He's not mad at you. 
he may actually see you as a prized servant in training to be used of him. Now, let's look at the, the two qualifications. Because the first four are not true unless you meet the last two. Well, what are they? To those who are what? Can somebody tell me? Those who love God. Every test is a test of your devotion to the Father. Today, do you love God? Hold your hand up. Do you love God? Really, do you? Is it growing? Do you love him more today than you've ever loved him? Is your love kind of up and down? I mean, it can be to a degree. Do you express your love to him on a regular basis? And how do the people around you know whether you actually do love God or not? Because loving God is the ultimate treasure. It's the ultimate purpose. Matthew 22, when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest, what's the greatest principle in life? And he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with your emotions. Love him with your soul, which means you determine with your will that you're going to draw closer. Love him with your mind. What do you fantasize about? What do you dream about? And then love him with all your strength. When you go to bed at night, are you tired because you've been busy about his business? You see, love is not an emotion, which is what our culture says. Well, I don't love you anymore, or I've fallen out of love. Love is not an emotion primarily. It's a commitment. And people that make the right commitment end up having the right emotions. And if love is genuine, it has to be tested. After 25 years of waiting for our son and then enjoying his company for about 10 years, one day the Lord spoke to his servant, his friend Abraham and said, do you love me? Oh yes, I love you, Father. He said, take your son your only son, who you love, and take him to the mountains of Moriah and sacrifice him to me. To Peter, who had betrayed Jesus three times, by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus took Peter, put his arm around him, and said, let's go for a walk. Because he wanted to restore him, and he said, Peter, Simon, are you ready? Are you ready, Peter? Yes, Lord. Do you love me more than you love these men? Do you love me more than you love your wife? Do you love me more than your children? Do you love me more than your career? Do you love me more than your plans? Yes, Lord. And what the Lord does, he takes all the tragedies, 
all the heartaches, all the successes, all the victories, and molds them into the ultimate classroom experience. So we, verses 29 and 30, can be molded into the image of Christ. He doesn't waste a thing. So, since he's loving on you and loving on me, because that's what he does, then maybe we should return it. Would that be a good idea? How do we know love? Because he first, what? Loved us. So the highlight of any day of your life is loving on him first. And then the last qualification is to those who are called according to his purpose. If you are alive today, you have a purpose from God. And that purpose is more exciting, more rewarding, more adventuresome than anything possible you could dream up yourself. He knows you. He knows what you're made like. And he knows what will fulfill you. As a brand new Christian in 1972, I used to listen to this man on the radio, Dr. Stephen Olford, amazing British Bible teacher and evangelist. He was raised in South Africa by missionary parents, a devout man growing up. But in his, in his teenage years, he drifted from the Lord, turned his back on the Lord, went to England to study engineering. And his faith faltered. But his parents were praying for young Stephen. In England, he took up racing motorcycles and building motorcycles. He was quite a brilliant man. Even with his inventions involving cycles and racing and stuff. One day, headed home in the middle of a rainstorm. He missed a turn. Crashed his bike. Ended up in a field. And stay there, stayed there unconscious for hours in the rain. When they found Stephen, took him to a local hospital there in Britain. They worked with him for weeks, but he developed pneumonia. And the doctors talked among themselves and said, we don't think he'll come out of this. One day on his deathbed, a letter came to him from South Africa from his father. His father wrote the letter three months earlier. That's how long it took the letter to get to England. And on his deathbed, as young Stephen read the letter, his father quoted the great missionary C.T. Studd and his opening words said, Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. With tears streaming down his face, the words his father wrote pierced Stephen Olford's heart. With his broken body, he still slipped out of bed and got on his knees and he said this in his biography. He said, Lord, you've won. Today, with a broken body, and an uncertain future, I surrender my life to you. You are the Lord of lords and the King of all kings. 
And today, I offer you my broken body and I will serve you as you heal me. And he said, I'll go anywhere. I'll help anybody. And I'll do anything you ask for the rest of my days. And God used that man. He healed him for 65 years. He became a mentor and friend to Billy Graham. And he preached the gospel all over the country and helped millions of people, including your pastor. And it all happened because of a crash on a motorcycle. Julie, would you come? And I want to encourage you, if you're breathing today, you have a calling. Every person in this room, you have a calling if you want one. It's there for you. He has a plan for you and a purpose for you. That's more exciting than anything you could imagine. And part of it, whether you're a school teacher, a business owner, you write songs, or you work with animals, is to help people find Jesus and grow in their faith. I want to close with this story. Have you heard of John Bunyan? Hold your hand up. You heard of John Bunyan? You may not know his story. John Bunyan was born pretty poor. He was a tinker because his father was a tinker. In England, a tinker is someone that fixed pans, that fixed pots, and they would go around from village to village fixing pans and pots. Not a lot of money in it. At age 16, he enlisted in the army during the English Civil War. One night he had an encounter that shook him up. He was supposed to do guard duty during a siege. And he was tired and his best friend said to John, let me do your guard duty tonight. You go to bed and rest. And that's what John Bunyan did. But that night, his best friend got a musket ball in the head and died instantly. And it made John Bunyan question, why am I alive? What purpose do you have for me? He married a young, pious Christian woman. Together they had four children. His oldest child, Mary, was born blind. Bunyan wrestled with faith. He wrestled with doubt. His state of sin, as he recalled it, messed with him every single day. And one day, he heard a voice from heaven call out to him, saying, John, will you leave your sins and go to heaven? Or will you keep your sins and go to hell? Which one is it? Would you say that's pretty clear? Pretty clear. Shortly thereafter, he was converted. He became a Puritan pastor, which was not very popular. He was arrested many times for preaching the gospel and holding 
unsanctioned church services because back then the law of England said if your church, your Bible study is not sanctioned by the Church of England, it is illegal. And he kept getting arrested and arrested and arrested because he said, I refuse. The last time he was arrested, he was sentenced to 12 years in a filthy prison. His family was in poverty. The only way his children kept from starving was Christian people would bring them a little bread or some vegetables and keep them alive. His little wife was pregnant when he went into prison the last time. And when she delivered the child, the child was born dead. He had no way to support his family. He made shoestrings to sell through the bars to people. He despaired and was ready to give up all hope. And the voice of the Spirit of God spoke to him and said, John, I've given you a gift you don't even recognize. Open your eyes. See it. I've given you a gift to write. He got pen, quill, and ink and started writing what the Holy Spirit told him. During those 12 years, John Bunyan wrote 60 books, 60 Christian books that got circulated far and wide. And the very first novel he wrote I couldn't believe this. I looked it up to see. It's the first novel in English history. Does anybody know the name of it? The Pilgrim's Progress. And there it is right there. It's been translated into 200 languages. In 350 years, it has never, ever been out of print. That's his grave. And millions of people have found faith, have found hope, have determined not to quit on God, have found a life in purity for one reason, because of prison, 12 years. You see, without prison, there never would have been Pilgrim's Progress, possibly, the greatest book outside of the Bible ever written. So I just want to encourage you today. I don't know what your prison is. I don't know where you're trapped or where you're broken or where you're fearful, but God has a purpose for you. God has a calling for you, and it's just as sure as John Bunyan's, but you have to look. You have to wait. You have to listen because, ready? Pay attention. Everything in your life, throughout your life, has moved you in this direction of your purpose and your calling. Just tell him yes. It's never too late. 
tell him yes. Now we're going into our response time. It's the most important time of the service because where we slow down, we think about maybe what we wrote or what the Holy Spirit spoke to our heart. We keep our eyes open. We bow our eyes and say, yes, Lord. So during this next moment, I want you to sit. I want you to think. I want you to pray. This altar is open right here. There'll be people on both sides ready to pray with you. But he's here and he's looking for you. Heavenly Father, walk among us. Open hearts. One word changes everything. Release hope in this room. We bind the spirit of victimization. We bind the spirit of despair. We bind spirits of lying, deceiving darkness. We release hope, surrender, and knowing. You're welcome to come to the altar and do business with the Lord. Whatever he says, do it. And Father, for anyone here that's never received Jesus or watching online, may they say to the one, come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Be my Savior and Lord today. I receive you as my Savior today. Respond to him. If you need to get out of your seats, get up and come. If you need someone to pray with you, there's people available. Lord. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Let go whatever you're holding on to. Let go of it now. It's not worth it. Let go of it. Surrender. Surrender. your calling, Lord. 
Release your calling. Release your purpose. Stir up the gifts of God. Help us to renounce sin and addiction, angry words and selfishness. We renounce it in Jesus' name. Lord, release a heart for purity today. Father, from this room, shake the nations of the earth and shake this city. Shake this nation, Lord, from this room. These servants of the Lord, the next generation of Stephen Alfords, the next generation of John Bunyans, shake this nation, Lord, in Jesus' name. From this room, this room, Lord. More, Lord. More, Lord. Tear down strongholds. Tear down strongholds, Lord. More, Lord. Don't hold on to anything. Let it all go. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. Let it all go. Trust Him. As the worship team leads us in this song, it's a song of celebration, a song of trust. Worship your heart out as affirmation that He is good. In Jesus' name, continue to humble yourself. Let the King of my heart be 
the fire inside my veins The echo of my days Oh, he is my song Let the king, let the king of my heart Be the wind inside my sails The anchor in the waves Oh, he is my song Let the king of my heart the fire inside my veins, the echo of my days, oh, he is my song, you are good, you're good, oh, you are good, you're good, oh, you are good, you're good, gonna let you're never gonna let me down you're never gonna let you're never gonna let me down you're never gonna let you're never gonna let me lift it up you're never gonna let you're never gonna let me down you're never gonna let you're never gonna let me down. You're never gonna let, you're never gonna let me down. You're never gonna let, you're never gonna let me down. Cause you are good, you're good.
The Lord really is good. He has our best interest in mind. He's not some far off God, but he's the Lord that loves you, loves you intimately, is involved in the details and cares for you, loves you like nobody else could love you. What a message. What a message we received today. May you and I internalize that and just make that a regular part of who we are. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you. We thank you for today. We thank you for what you've delivered to our hearts. Lord, might we never be the same. We thank you for your message. We thank you for your love. We thank you for the future that you've got planned out for us. Might we, Lord, wriggle out of all that the enemy is attached to us. Might we, Lord, run and not grow weary, sprint towards the future you've got planned for us, no matter what it might be. Give us the courage and let us know, Lord, whisper in our ear every step of the way that you're there with us, that you love us, that this is indeed your plan for us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for making a way, for giving us of our sin and giving us the opportunity to live the very best life today. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Now, if you would like further prayer, there are those of us who would love to pray with you. The altar is always open. And if you have children, please don't forget them. God and grow in your walk with Jesus. If you made a decision to follow Jesus for the first time today, please reach out to us. We would love to help you take your next step. Please visit our website for information on upcoming events and how you can connect with the COS family. There is also a prayer request form where you can let us know how we can pray for you. Thanks again for tuning in. Hope to see you next week.